another episode of the Granite List Live. Navigating a sea of benefit solution is daunting at best, and new vendors emerge every week. Host Lee Dill and Sally Pace bring brokers and employers a solid resource when it comes to uncovering what's new, what's needed, and what is happening now to allow for the best plan design possible. By staying on top of trends, brokers and employers can in turn stay on top of spending while improving employee engagement and outcomes. Corporate athletes are those that haul, lift, push, reach as part of their day-to-day required tasks on the job. Why would you wait until they are injured to treat them? Why not prevent the injuries by having on-site care, as you would for professional sports athletes? If you're already familiar with the term VP of Environment, this episode is for you. If you have regular workers' compensation claims due to musculoskeletal issues, this is for you too. Your employees want to work, you need them to work, and you need them to be safe and smart with how they work. Join us for this episode of the Granite List Live, where Sally and Lee visit with Nick Petit, CEO of WorkRight, preventing workplace injuries of your corporate athletes. Hey everybody, thanks for joining the show today. We are thrilled to have our longtime friend, Nick Petit from WorkRight on with us today. I have so much to say about the awesome things that you and your team do. Why don't we first start, Nick, by you telling us what you all do. What problem are you solving for in the workplace? My name is Nick Petty. I'm the CEO of WorkRight Northwest. We're an injury prevention firm that works with large corporations around the U.S. First off, thanks for having us, Sally and, and Lee. I'm excited to chat with you all. What WorkRight's trying to do is we're trying to drive an attitude of prevention as opposed to traditional medical treatment. I'm sure you guys have spent time talking about kind of the sick care system in the U.S. and how most of the payments are built off of people being injured or sick. As someone who had private practices and was in the physical therapy world, it just never sat right with me. We were missing the opportunity to improve these people's health because we were paid on fixing broken people. And so what WorkRight's trying to do is we've changed the model where we've aligned ourselves as experts in the musculoskeletal system with people that are like-minded and trying to keep their folks healthy, which is the employer. You know, the employer doesn't want their people out on a workers' compensation claim. They don't want them out on a short-term disability claim. They want the people that they employ to be able to be productive at work. And so aligning ourselves with them, you know, also symbiotically aligns ourselves with the goals of most people who don't want to be hurt, who don't want to be injured as well. And so our model is putting sports medicine into the corporate work environment that's free of charge to the employees and using our efforts as musculoskeletal experts to keep their people healthy. We don't care if it's work-related, non-work-related. What we care about is how do we better empower these folks to be able to live their fullest life from a musculoskeletal perspective. And that's relevant because it's by far the most common workers' comp injury that's out there is musculoskeletal issues. And it's usually in your top three or four on the benefit side. So it is the biggest driver. And so we do ergonomics, we do job evaluations, we do work conditioning, we do early symptom intervention, all of those things to try and keep people healthy, keep safe in that musculoskeletal space. So describe your client base. Talk to us about who who some of the groups are you work with and, and what you do. Yeah, so I mean, this is a, some of our groups are really large and like to be really confidential. So the majority of our customers are Fortune 500 employer groups 
but we have quite a few that are not on the fortune list, but they tend to be large. You know, we have very few groups under 500 employees. Most, and we have a handful of groups that we work with that have over 100,000 employees. And so some of the bigger brands, you know, Tesla has been public about working with us, so I can share that one. AutoZone, Tractor Supply, we've done some work in, in some capacity with Campbell Soups. Those are some of the bigger brands, um, but it tends to be large workforces. And it's not just industrial settings either. We've done a lot of work with large construction settings, as well as manufacturing, distribution, the likes. I do that because you are incredibly humble and you have attracted these brands because of the outcomes that you and your team provide. But for our audience, talk through when you are engaged with some of these. If I'm an employer that maybe has six different distribution centers across the U.S., what does it typically look like when I bring you in? What are you looking for? Is it an all-or-nothing thing with you guys? Does it have to be, you know, got to help me with all six distribution centers? Walk our audience through what you measure. What yeah, good question. So we're going to use a very analytical approach. I think that's been a, a differentiator for us against the competition. And, and maybe if I were to brag about the work our team has done, we're growing at a pace that's faster than anyone else in this space. And I think that differentiator data has been a big part of it. Everyone talks about data, right? You couldn't go to a customer right now that wouldn't say they got great data. But the reality is, is a lot of people are just throwing the numbers around and aren't necessarily tying it to actionable results. We've had a lot of success in, in building the data that we're bringing in and tying it to the Gemba boards and the operation metrics that people are using on a daily process. And so we take that all the way upstream when we're evaluating groups as well. And so we're going to look at a historical perspective of their injuries and their losses. And we're going to evaluate, is there opportunity for us to make an impact from an algorithmic perspective? And is there not? And so we wouldn't typically, in your case example, we wouldn't typically roll out to all six distribution centers right off the bat. We'd look at the data and say, okay, here's the two that make the most sense. And statistically, here's the expected return on investment we could achieve. And here's the KPIs to evaluate that. And then we're going to report out to you on that every single week. And so we'll roll out to those two. And then if the case makes sense to go further, we will. But that's the way we manage it. And, and I'd say beyond that, the other thing is you think of these on-site sports medicine programs, you probably tend to think of the capital expenditure of an on-site clinic. It's very affordable to integrate our program. We're not talking about the 700000 to a $1 million to set up a clinic. We're talking a $6,000 launch fee. It's pretty affordable to get a program started and set up. It's, it's not the same as a full-scale, you know, benefits-based medical clinic on-site. Can you give us a little visual of what your on-site presence looks like? Yeah. The easiest way to, I, I was a college athlete, and the easiest way for me to explain that to fellow college athletes is it's a college training room, an athletic training room. And, and, but if you weren't an athlete and, and not been around that, you know, kind of envision a room where you can go in, you've got a massage table, you've got freezers with hot packs, you get, or freezers with ice packs, and then you've got hot packs. You've got the taping stations where they, same exact things they do to make sure an athlete can play healthy day in and day out. That's what we're bringing to the work environment. So very much that collegiate style athletic training room. Is there education involved in this too, to help the employees? Absolutely. Our program's built around a very much outward facing model. And so 
30 years ago, you had occupational nursing in almost every large manufacturing or distribution setting out there. Largely speaking, that trend has shifted the other direction where you don't see occupational nurses nearly as much. But the big knock and the big perception that people struggle with in that space is that the nurses sat in the room and waited for people to come to them. And, and change was relying on people recognizing that they needed help. <laughs> Our model says we're not going to do that. We're going to spend a majority of our time in the work environment, seeking out opportunities to connect with people. And education is a part of that. So we see it as three tiers to drive an effective program. One is individual-based intervention. So someone comes to us and we can talk about what's going on and we can be able to care for them. But we need to be able to understand how can we learn from that one individual and impact the entire system. So system-based intervention is the second piece. So looking at the ergonomics, looking at the engineering, looking at the way that we're onboarding employees and where in the system are the flaws happening that's leading to people being injured. And then the third element of that is culture. We need to understand what is the culture of that organization? What's the safety culture look like? What's the overall health and wellness culture look like? How does management handle things? And what's the relationship between the people and management? And blending all three of those approaches allows us to drive the most effective program moving forward. In that culture piece, education is a huge part of it. You know, we're out leading train the trainers. We're leading small group trainings at the shift startups. We're embedding ourselves in the organization, and, and we are the mouthpiece for them in a lot of ways. And it's not just training by the person on site. We have a whole communications team that's building material for our employer groups. We're building trainings for them to deliver to their folks downstream, and then also we're, we're facilitating some of that as well. But it's, again, it's that system-level approach to managing the way that we communicate, hopefully steering the culture of the direction we want it to go. I know COVID has impacted your business in many ways, like it has everybody else presented obstacles and new opportunities. Can you talk through what you're working with a lot of employers who have employees who have to show up and a manufacturing plant, people have to be there and a distribution center. You have to have human capital in the door to keep building your profit. So for you all, as people who are protecting those corporate athletes, where have you had to adjust your business? Is it virtual? Is it, you know, what, what has changed over the past year and a half for you all? Everyone's dealing with the body blows of and the constant change is really the biggest challenge for us from a business sustainability and, and just business health wise. You know, we've done very, very well the last two years. Part of that is two of our core values. One is recognize the opportunity. Like we're always seeking out ways to make an impact, and, and that's something that's ingrained in our people. And the second is we're fanatical about service. And so uh, it, there was a lot of opportunities, and there was a lot of pain points that COVID brought for our customers. So there was a lot of opportunity for our team to band together and figure out how do we help our customers solve those problems. And to be frank, we went way outside of our traditional element of musculoskeletal issues to help solve these challenges. But we were helping from the corporate landscape, understanding protocols and processes in different jurisdictions and states. We were using our chief medical officer was the advisory council member for a couple of our customers. We brought on board HR consultants to help our teams. There was a lot of things that we were able to do from finding resources with vaccines and, and testing and even just as minuscule as 
temperature testing at doors and things of that nature. We mobilized a workforce and helped our customers solve their problems. I think the value of this from a, a work right perspective is really the mindset and the attitude shift that it's had for our people. We were a startup, we're seven years old right now, so we're still a young company. But we operated pre-COVID very much with this mindset of, you know, we're the underdog, we're coming, we're coming for you type of a mindset and chasing our competition, not as much chasing our competition, but just trying to be excellent and knocking them off the list as we pass them. And that was exciting for us. I think what COVID did is it, it for the first time, completely leveled the playing field. We were starting at the exact same spot as everyone else. And so it was an opportunity for us to shift the mindset of our team of, how do we make the biggest impact and how do we focus on what we can do well, really, really well to serve the needs of our employer groups and not worry as much about who we're chasing this, just serve well and hopefully watch them in the rear view mirror. So it sounds like COVID changed a little bit of your strategy in a good way. Also, I'd love to hear about some success stories, whether it was in the past year and a half of, of things you've overcome or some other stories from your seven years in business. Yeah, I mean, we're always learning and I hope we continue to learn. So quick answer to your first question is, yeah, I think the last year and a half has been good for us. It's hard to say that when so many people are struggling, but practically speaking, you know, our business has responded well. And so it has been good. From a lessons learned perspective or a success aspect, you know, we've had just over 17% quarter over quarter growth since quarter one. That's our average quarterly growth, which is by the grace of God, we've been blessed. You know, that's not something that most businesses get to experience. I think most people would be happy with annual growth that way. You know, I think for us, one of our biggest successes has been understanding how do we tie analytics from early symptoms and ergonomic evaluations to the GEMBA process. We uh, referenced it earlier, but it, we call it a symptom management report. It, that came from the bottom up. Our team members recognized an opportunity, started mining data with our data team, and, and it built a report that honestly is used weekly by frontline supervisors to understand where are the hot spots in their factory, where are the opportunities for us to drive training and outreach. And it's a tool that's really connected operations and proactive health and safety, which is oftentimes really difficult to do. That's a success story. From a larger success story, we could, you know, you could get into a bunch of nuts and bolts of locations, but generally speaking, in the first 12 months of integrating our program, we reduced the frequency of musculoskeletal disorders by 48%. And so, you know, we tell people it'll be 35, but our track record has been just under that 50% mark. And so that's a big success. Uh, and I'll finish my last one. It'd be the way we've used technology has been, we've been ahead of the trend is the best way to put it. And National Safety Council and the Campbell Institute recognized us for being leaders in that space. But we were using wearable technology seven years ago when people didn't know wearable technology was. They thought it was retroreflective clothing or something of that nature. We did a grant with the state of Washington where we evaluated exoskeletons in the logging industry five and a half years ago. Again, well before exoskeletons were a common thing. And so our ability to use technology to drive results has been something we're very proud of and, and been a success. Speaking of technology and advancements, do you have to be on site to provide services for clients? Or do you have any virtual solutions you offer? 
we had virtual solutions available before COVID, so that actually helped us well. We were already doing video chat stuff with a HIPAA compliant internal program that was built. So that made responding to some of the COVID early reactions easy, and we continue to provide that. We also have done some work. We're trying to understand how to better utilize some of the technology we have from an ergonomic perspective remotely. And so we're playing with that right now in collaboration with you know, some other groups, and that's been going well. I would say you don't have to be on site. Uh, we also do a train-the-trainer program where we'll do annual training for you. That tends to be on site more than remote. We've done it both ways. But a large portion of our business, the biggest value we have is, is that on-site piece. So before you get your hands on data to analyze and, and are able to show how you're going to add value, if I'm an employer or I'm a consultant, what should I be looking for that is an earmarker that says WorkRight might be a good solution to fix this problem? Generally speaking, if you've got a, a domicile workforce that's doing some aspect of physical labor and you're over that 300 employee mark, you tend to have an issue with musculoskeletal disorders. And so that would be the first thing. You know, if you're distribution manufacturing and you've got large workforce, it's probably worth conversation. Where we don't tend to align as well is if you've got a bunch of small workforces. Say you own the Taco Bell franchise, we're not going to be a good resource for you because you're six to seven employees per location scattered all over the places. It's really difficult for us to connect with. Second thing is if your musculoskeletal spends considerable, you know, then it's pretty straightforward. And it doesn't have to be just workers' comp. Workers' comp's an easier one to look at. It's more clear, but it, we want to focus on the whole person. We want to be able to connect across both sides. So we actually see a majority of our interactions are for non-work-related aches and pains. And we're going to impact both sides of the aisle. We oftentimes will refer to as, as each organization's got two health plans. They've got a benefits plan and a comp plan. We focus on comp but we are impacting both. And it's the same person participating or taking from those plans. So our goal is to drive value on both sides. So if musculoskeletal is one of your big issues on either side of those, you know, it might be worth a conversation. You're exactly right. With the musculoskeletal issues, I feel like within an employer, there's a balance happening, a teeter-tot. Workers' comp claims go up and they smack that down and health insurance claims go up for the same issues. So it really is a holistic approach that you need to attack. Who is your buyer? Who are you usually talking to? Is it the broker, the consultants that bring you in? Is it risk management team? Is it the HR team? Who do you have most conversations with? It can be different folks. I, we've had lots of advisors or brokers that have brought us into locations and been very successful. Sally has introduced us to groups and we've been very successful. <laughs> and so that is one way from a buyer perspective, you know, the advisor, the consultant, the broker, they typically aren't the buyer themselves. It's gonna more frequently or not go through operations. So depending on the size of the organization, if there's a VP of environment, safety and health, that tends to be the most common buyer. If they don't have one of those, it's probably gonna be your CFO or finance director of operations. We don't as frequently fall under human resources. You know, they're dealing more with the benefit side of things and tend to be a little bit less connected to day-to-day -day operations. But saying that, I mean, we've had a handful of times where the HR department is the buyer. So it's, it's not always one way or the other. I would tell you if we were seeking it out, it's more frequently gonna be through that operation side, environment, safety, and health. Tell us, what's your why? Why go into this? You were successful, you had a successful practice. 
How'd you do this? The mindset shifted for me with a patient that I had named Andres. Andres is a logger. He's a hardworking guy. He had three kids. He was the sole provider for his family. And obviously, as a kind of a blue-collar worker in the logging industry, he wasn't making tons of money. He is a citizen, but he wasn't, you know, English is not his primary language. And culturally, he was very much Mexican more so than American at that point. So he just didn't have all the understanding of how things operate in the United States. That being said, Andreas worked hard and was proud of the, the job he did and proud of the fact that he was tougher than most people. Loggers do a job that most people can't do. It's the most dangerous job in the continental U.S. Physically, it's super demanding. His shoulders started bothering him, and he didn't think anything of it. You know, loggers hurt. That's normal. And he just ignored it. And then after a handful of weeks, continued to bother him, and he started realizing, well, this isn't quite like every other time. So he did what most of us do. He starts pounding ibuprofen and just toughing it out. And eventually got to the point where it hurt every time he reached overhead, but he was starting to get nervous and scared. You know, he was that sole provider for the family. Long story short, I met Andreas two years after all of this, after he'd have had a massive rotator cuff repair. And what drove him to that was his employer eventually realized he couldn't lift his arm up and he wasn't being effective at his job. And the employer was like, you gotta get to the doctor. And they forced him to go. He was nervous, scared, but at that time he'd already torn his rotator cuff and couldn't do anything about it. I rehabbed Andreas, got him back to the best of his ability, but he had a long-term disability. He never was able to, to fully recover his mobility because of the extent of the tear and the type of surgery he had to have. So he had a partial disability moving forward. The frustrating part for me and, and my why is, had I been able to interface with Andreas in the first two, three, four weeks of that, it would have been a 15-minute conversation. It would have been about strengthening his mid-back, getting the scapular stabilizers pulled back to take the pressure on that impingement out of that cuff, which entirely would have changed the trajectory of where his life goes moving forward. But because the system's not set up that way, and because I financially wasn't paid to do that and I had never met Andres, I didn't have that opportunity. And so, you know, it just really hit us between the, the eyes that we need to do something different. And so Mindy and I went to work on understanding how can we better serve people without needing them to be broken before they come to us. That's the why. And yet you really do stand behind your desire to help people. And is it still true you operate on a month to month with no contract, no annual contract in place? Yeah. I mean, we put our money where our mouth is. If, if we're not driving results and we're not serving your people the way that you'd like, get rid of us. And uh, we shouldn't be there. And, and fortunately, that doesn't happen. <laughs> we work hard to exceed expectations. And, and really, it just comes down to prioritizing the individual and caring for people and serving them well and doing it in a way that serves the organization as well. And it is one of the few win-wins from a business perspective. Perfect. Well, Nick, thank you so much for sharing your story and your business model. If any of our listeners want to get in contact with you or um, hear more about WorkRight, where should they go? Well, I mean, you could visit our website and reach out to us that way. It's WorkRightNW.com. There's a contact thing there. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Our company has all the social media stuff and we have people monitor that. So if you find us somewhere, you can reach out and then it'll eventually get to me. The granite list as well. And then our final question that we love to ask all of our guests on the podcast 
Do you have a favorite book you would like to share with everybody? So I could go a couple different directions this way. The most impactful book I've read, the one that's changed the way we think and operate the most, is a series of essays by Robert Greenleaf and Servant Leadership. It's from like the 1940s, maybe 50s. It's, it's old and it's a really dry read, but the theories behind Servant Leadership and where that came from and how it changed leadership really changed the way we focus. Uh, if you're wanting a better read on those same topics, The Servant by James Hunter is another really good one as well. All right, well, thanks everybody. Nick, a huge thanks to you and your team. Thank you for the way that you are are literally improving people's lives day in and day out. I love how you approach, your, your group approaches the corporate athlete by wanting to care for them and protect them before they get hurt. I've had the privilege of, of visiting some of the on-site facilities that you all operate out of, and, and it is amazing to watch some of the biggest, toughest men in the room walk in and admit that they need treatment and that they're hurting. I know you mean what you say when you talk about changing people's lives. I've seen it. And I hope that for those of you that are listening, that if you are responsible for overseeing people that are doing strenuous things day in and day out, that you'll at least explore the opportunity of bringing in work right to improve their lives. So with that, thanks for joining us for another episode of The Great Atlas Live. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Granite List Live. Access our entire library by visiting your favorite podcast venue or subscribe on our site, thegranitelist.live. Thank you.